Welcome to Teacher's Lounge. We're a podcast from WNIJ telling the stories of education in Illinois with the help of conversations with local educators. It's hosted by me, Peter Medlin, and you might know the drill by now. Every episode, a few longer stories, news roundup, and finally our big conversation with a local educator who was nominated by you, the listener. This week, I talked to Maurice McDavid. He's the new assistant principal at Cortland Elementary School. We talked about a lot of things, including his perspective as a teacher of color. We talked about his college football days, a little bit about a rap that he wrote for his new elementary school students. Caffoni. Keep hands and feet and other objects to yourself. Do it for your health. Shout out Mr. McDizzle and even about his side gig as a pastor. I always try not to sermonize, you know what I'm yes, saying? Because I, yes, because I, um, I would, I would find myself, uh, in fact, some of my coworkers at the high school said, man, when you get going, it is definitely like listening to you preach. That's coming up later, but right now, let's get into the show. Our feature this week is a topic that has really catapulted into our national discourse over the past few years, and it has both international and personal ramifications. Of course, we're talking about cybersecurity. There's been the Russian hacks and the way they use cyber to influence the 2016 election cycle. There's been the massive data breaches of companies like Equifax. Over 4 billion private records were exposed by data breaches just in the first half of this year. So... Colleges in Illinois are offering more and more cybersecurity degree programs to prepare students to join the cause to combat these online threats. Illinois residents have seen their fair share of information compromises. In July, the state received a chunk of the Equifax settlement. These hacks continue to dominate the headlines, and the business of ensuring online privacy is also booming. Right now, there are nearly 3 million unfilled positions in cybersecurity. Illinois Valley Community College recently introduced cybersecurity courses. And it started because local businesses had been approaching them about their security needs. We brought some banks, we had hospitals and things like that, and they all were in. They said, hey, if you can bring some students to a program that can help them protect our information, we're in. That was Shane Lang. He's the school's director of workforce development. As of now, IVCC is offering an associate degree and a Security Plus certification. For these new programs, it's key to forge connections with companies in the cybersecurity industry. Software and security are always evolving. Felix Davis knows that. He's a professor in the Information Technology Department at College of DuPage. There's always going to be a lag in that because things are coming out as we speak, but it gives our program, our content, that capability. Their program is established. It even has a designation from the NSA and Department of Homeland Security as a Center for Academic Excellence. In addition to those honors, the school makes sure there are instructors in the classroom who are still active in the industry. Nancy McDonald is teaching many of the new cybersecurity classes at Illinois Valley. She says things have changed drastically since she first got her certification. We were more concerned about incident response, disaster recovery, And now we're trying to uh, take care of a lot of the phishing emails and how the hackers are getting in, the ransomware, and all of that information. And Davis says now it's not just companies worried about their data. It's everyday people. There's a term that we should all become familiar with called IoT, Internet of Things, or you sometimes you'll hear IOE, Internet of Everything. The fact that there are so many new devices that have networking capability, cars and television and refrigerators. McDonald says companies should know breaches are not a matter of if, but when. 
and they even reward hackers who find software issues before they can be exposed. They're called bug bounties. Even the companies have raised their uh, bug bounty to look for vulnerabilities. Apple just raised theirs to a million dollars. Lang at IVCC even got to witness a bug bounty being captured in person at a conference. It's not quite like the hacking competition scene from David Fincher's The Social Network. What's going on? We have 10 minutes to get root access to a Python web server, expose its SSL encryption, and then intercept all traffic over its secure ports. They're hacking. Yes, all behind a fixed firewall emulator, but here's the beauty. You know I didn't understand anything you just said, right? I do know that. So what's the beauty? Over at Wobanzi Community College, they're still developing their cybersecurity program. It's scheduled to launch next year. Nikisha Stepney is the Dean for Business and Career Technologies. She says she's also been a victim to widespread data breaches. Irony is very rich. I'm like sitting at the table talking about the cybersecurity program and getting notification that my data has been sold to the, on the black market. Stephanie says Wubanzi is interested in cybersecurity education, not just for their students, but for everyone in the community. Davis agrees and says, yes, you should probably change your password. It should change your own behavior. You start to look, look and realize, you know what? My dog's name is not a good password. And McDonald says those soft skills, those people skills, are one of the things these programs emphasize with their students to set them apart once they're in the field. There's not a patch for people to keep them safe. So you can patch your systems all you want, but you can't patch that human emotion of clicking and letting that in. And it can be a lucrative career choice. Cybersecurity analysts can earn in the six figures. Now for some news you might have missed while you were out living your life. Just before the new school year, public schools across the state got Stop the Bleed kits. According to a story from Dusty Roads, these kits include gloves, a mask, bandages, and a tourniquet. The schools will be training staff members to be able to use these kits in case of a bleeding emergency situation. And another news, ProPublica and NPR Illinois' Rachel Otwell has an enormous investigation into sexual harassment allegations against University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign faculty and the lack of consequences that came from them. Now, there's no way that I can do justice to such an in-depth story of that scope, so it is a must-read, and you can find it on NPR Illinois and ProPublica. But for right now, it's time for my conversation with Maurice McDavid. Now I'm an assistant principal at an elementary school, and there are just little people all over the place, and they <laughs> give hugs, and they they um, treat you like a superhero and I, I wrote a rap song for them and they have told me all day long, oh Mr. McDavid man, I love your song man Mr. McDizzle, which is my <laughs> that's my rap name, so, so yeah I was, I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> it, you know, as a, as a journalist in my research I did find the rap and I, I have listened to all of it, so okay. I wanted to applaud okay. you on there thank you, thank you, there were some serious bars happening hey, I, I, bars all day, that will be my other career, you know, I, I gave that up because I care about the kids, it's know? always good to have a safety net and hip-hop right. is a good one right absolutely absolutely <laughs> that's awesome yeah i was gonna ask you like does it feel you know because when you like you said when you go from high school to elementary is it more different than you expected or more similar than you expected to be honest i, I would have to go with the more similar elementary school kids are little human beings with joys and challenges not unlike their teen counterparts and and so these fifth grade girls came into my office and, you know, one was picking on the other and they were beefing. And, and I'm like, oh, man, I, this is what I just left at the high school. And here it is, you know, in fifth grade. And so I think the the nice piece is, is that I could say to them, 
hey, look, let me tell you what this looks like at high school. And before you were the dean at the high school, when you were teaching, you were teaching like social studies, language arts, that type of thing? Yeah, so, so I taught uh, for three years eighth grade social studies and language arts. Um, and um, eighth grade social studies was American history. Love it, love it, love it. That was absolutely my passion. I taught English because I was certified to do it. I taught history because I loved it. Um, and so that was uh, three years. Now all three years I also taught summer school world geography, freshman world geography. Um, I love geography. See, and I, that was, again, just another one that I actually, I would say I learned to love it. But when I first taught it, um, it was really kind of neat. I'm from DeKalb. Yes. Um, and so the, the teacher I had for seventh grade, Jeff Smith, was now teaching world geography at the high school. He invited me. He said, hey, bud, come teach summer school. We need a spot. I'll get you in there. We get in, and uh, and so he hands me all the material. Says, "Hey, here's how we typically do it. You know, make it your own, um, but make sure we hit these parts." And and so that was that. Um, then I taught, though I did teach two years, uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade Spanish, and that was um, a, a brand new challenge. Teaching a language is is challenging, um, but I I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, learning a language is challenging, let alone teaching one, right? I mean, Correct. You you know. I think one of the things I discovered, though, was for me, learning a language was less challenging. It, it's something that kind of happens. You know how you can be good at math or you're good at, you know, writing comes natural. Language came naturally for me. So then when I went to teach kids for whom it didn't come naturally, I was like, uh, why aren't you getting this? You know, it should be yeah. something that you get. Since this is an audio podcast. Can you give us a little taste, a little bit of Spanish for us? To... Bueno, uh, sí, claro que sí. Es que uh, me llamo Señor McDavid y yo soy el vicedirector a Cortland Elementary School y estoy muy contento para estar contigo hoy. Yes, we're hitting all of the NPR <laughs> benchmarks now. You know, one of the things I was going to ask you about too is like, now you're on a different level with these adults that you've kind of known before. Correct, correct. Yeah, so I will say... Uh, teaching alongside uh, these people was was um, really awesome. It it was welcoming. It was you know I talked to kids today about um, even that that reputation that you build right now may make a difference long term. And so when I uh, was invited back into the district, uh, I had an assistant principal Val Bielik who said to me, "I remember you as a student, and you were a great young man." Um, and as a result. There was some some assistance in terms of, you know, because when you go to hire somebody, you're hiring a, a resume and maybe what they sound like in an interview. Right. Um, but she got a chance to know me also as as a, as a you know, 18 year old senior in high school. Yeah. And so that had an impact on me coming back in at 22 as an instructional assistant and then eventually a classroom teacher. What I would say is I, I think where things really shifted is when. I came in as a dean of students to DeKalb High School. My first year, I was celebrating my 10-year class reunion from high school and uh, was now expected to evaluate some of these folk who had taught me. Um, and so yeah. doing evaluations of, of people uh, in whom I had sat in their classroom and learned content and learned life lessons from these people was a challenge for me. Uh, I, I definitely had to be very just... Um, Almost objective. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, I try to be as objective as I can. Here's the evidence that I collected. Here's what I saw. And, and we'll just go from there. In fact, I, I just went to Spain this past summer 
with two of my former high school Spanish teachers. I was a, a, a third chaperone on this trip taking high schoolers to Spain. And I really took a moment and reflected on the idea of how I've kind of come to this full circle now yeah. where, where the student is now the teacher. You know? <laughs> yeah. The- yeah. No, no matter how old you are, there's always kind of a twinge in the pit of your stomach when someone says, I remember when I had you as a student. There's like, like even if you know that you are a good student or whatever, there's always a part of it that's like, oh, no, this could go one or two ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so in Skyward, which is our student uh, information system, it has students all the way back to when they first started using the Skyward. So it has my old student record in there. So I can look at my like discipline record from high school. And I was like, I don't remember getting that, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, but it is interesting because um, again, the assistant principal who ended up hiring me back into the district is also the one who handed me my only in-school suspension when I was in high school. And so um, I think she was able to see Okay, here's a mistake that you made, but we'll see beyond that and see your your pattern of behavior. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so you're from DeKalb. Yes. You left to go to college. Where did you go to college at? I went down to Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, and played some um, Division three football and then did a whole bunch of other uh, activities, including studying, a, studying abroad in Spain. So lived there for um, a couple months and had my own radio show, started a multicultural fraternity, um, well, welcome back to the radio. Yeah, yeah thank you very much. <laughs> you know, I, I do feel comfortable behind, you know, the radio mic and, and we'll do what we can. I, I've thought about, you know, how can I get back involved? You know, mm-hmm. but this is a good start. This is this is plenty, in fact. <laughs> yes. You played football. What position do you play? I'm just curious. Uh, defensive end uh, in college. Uh, high school played both tight end and defensive end. Those are good positions, though. Yeah. Those are, you know, because I played a little bit through middle school and I was always... You know, you kind of get caught in the no man's land of like too small to be a good offensive lineman, but like too chubby to play a skill position. <laughs> and so I just, I was like, I was stuck at this mediocre left guard position. And I was like, this isn't any fun. Why can't I be a wide receiver? Yeah, so let I, me touch the ball. That's, I mean, you know, yeah, the tight end is the glorified lineman, right? I mean, so um, I, I started it as an offensive lineman in middle school and then thinned out into a more athletic uh, uh, tight end, and then bulked back up in college into a, a decent defense man. So. See, I, that's, I've always been slightly bitter that I slimmed down in college. I was like, I could have I gotten there. Could have right, been the tight right, end. Right, right, right. to let that dream go. Yep, yep. <laughs> it was teaching all, through college, was teaching always in the cards for you? You know, I think kind of coming from the background that I came from, um, single-parent household, not a ton of money. My mom was very educated. My mom had her bachelor's degree here from Northern. I was an RN, but ended up getting injured going on a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, growing up Section 8 and, and Link Card and, and those types of things, I think money was kind of uh, a major part of my thought process. So I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to be a doctor. Um, got closed out of a political science class, took a school and society class. This ed professor came and recruited me to take it. And we went and saw the movie Freedom Riders. And Hilary yeah. Schwenk's character yeah. says, by the time you're defending a kid in the courtroom, it's too late. And the real battle is in the classroom. And um, as corny as that sounds, I signed up to be an ed major that next week. And I really do see education as, as a fight for equity. I see it as a social justice tool. Um, I, I am a firm believer um, that each and every one of our students um, are able to learn and to grow. When you left for college, was the plan always to come back? So when I left, the plan was to come back. Uh, what happened was that 
my high school girlfriend. Uh, we dated all four years of high school. Um, we got married a year into college. So we're 19. Um, her and I are married. We um, build a tremendous relationship with our home church there in Galesburg, but also maintained an excellent relationship with my pastor here. So I um, am also a, a youth pastor in town. And I think when I went uh, after my senior year, or in the spring of my senior year, I went to get my, my minister's license through the United Pentecostal Church International. Mm-hmm. Um, and my home pastor here signed that license. And the idea was that then at that point, we were going to come back here. Um, and so I look at it now 10 years later, and I can really see where where the blessings have flown and 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 this has been that that right decision with that was that always something that you had a passion for always something that you wanted to do as well you know i i, I think about it um i think that they are things that go well together um education and ministry i, I see um, my role in education as a ministry um, I see it as servanthood. I see it yeah. as that ability to um, help others and hopefully get them into a better place than they were when they started. Yeah, that was what um, I was going to say. Like, yeah. do you think a lot about how your faith influences your desire for public service and education? A- absolutely, absolutely. W- when I was um, 12 years old, I remember it vividly. I'm 12 years old. I'm sitting in church uh, on a Sunday night, uh, and I felt like, uh, God had given me a message to preach. And so I go to my pastor. I'm a 12 years old. I say, Pastor, God has given me a message to preach. Um, how does Wednesday night look? Because we had midweek Bible study. He said, well, Wednesday's taken. I'm going to be preaching on Wednesday night. But we, we'll, we'll work with you. And, and I can say um, the, uh, we, uh, the same pastor started this church uh, over 25 years ago, and he's currently pastoring. I'm uh, his assistant pastor. Um, I will say growing up uh, without my father in the home, he's been instrumental in, in filling in that role and, and just um, age 12 felt that call and, and have really been, that's been my thing ever since. Yeah. Now hold the phone, Maurice. I have to come back to this. Age 12, you get this call. How long did it take? Were you able to give that message? So uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I, um, I preached for the very first time in church at age 14 um, on a Wednesday night, 10-minute message that we had a guest youth pastor. He was uh, like an intern, and he said, hey, we're going to put you up there and give you 10 minutes, man. And you just do what you can. I think I went 12 minutes, and that's always been my issue because I go too long. Uh, you yes, know, hey, hey, now it's my wife. You know, now it's my <laughs> wife in the back. Like, oh, we got- cut it, bro, cut it. <laughs> my, you know, she's pointing at her watch. My like, my brother Troy's a Luther pastor, <laughs> okay. and so I have always been that for him. I've always been in the back, like red light, man. Come on, that's it. Like, listen, do we need another verse? Another verse today? Are you sure? (laughs) I was 18 when I preached on a Sunday morning. There's a picture of me in this silver suit. I look thin. I look good. Oh, man, I look good. Silver suit is a statement, Yeah, silver suit with a purple tie and purple and silver shirt. Uh, My father came up for that Sunday. My granny was there. There's a picture with me and my mom and my dad and and my granny. And um, uh, just just really great memories. at this point, I've had the opportunity to preach in Spain, and I've preached in Kenya, and I've preached, you know, in a Filipino church in in Spain, and I've preached throughout the state of Illinois, and I've preached in Wisconsin, and I've preached some big meetings and small meetings, and so um, I, I'm I'm grateful for uh, those opportunities at the middle school and high school level, especially when you were teaching there. 
between that? Did you feel like you were falling into some of your kind of preaching trappings and kind of things like that? Yeah, I, I, I am hesitant. I, I always try not to sermonize, you know what I'm yes, saying? Because, I, because I, um, I would, I would find myself, uh, in fact, some of my coworkers at the high school said, man, when you get going, it is definitely like listening to you preach and, and whether it's preaching about, again, social justice or preaching about our need to be more um, uh, culturally responsive. I, I, I see it as a strength. I know it as a calling. Um, and so I try not to hinder it too much, but, but obviously different settings and, oh, yeah. and my public school job and my private faith. Um, but I, I don't, there is no separating the two because that faith piece um, is, is who I am. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, you talked about being culturally responsive and all these things. And I know this is something that you talk about a, a lot in education too. I wanted to ask about the uh, diverse and learner ready teacher network. It really is, again, something that's right up my alley, you know, in terms of, you know, I think one of the things I'm really proud of DeKalb uh, for right now is uh, we have, um, as of June of 2018, have a active diversity plan. And the reason that that's really exciting to me is because in 2006, when I graduated high school, we were working on a diversity plan. Yeah. And so to come back to the district and there to be very little movement on that, um, I think was, was something that um, was a little heart-wrenching. Um, but we're here now. Uh, we, we've, we've got some stuff in place. And, um, and we have a school board um, that I believe uh, supports um, our diversity plan. Now I will mention, uh, you know, just so everybody yes. knows, my wife is on the school board, and um, and so full disclosure, right? Exactly. Yeah. I, I know what she supports, um, but I also know a lot of the folk on that school board um, are are in full support of that um, diversity plan and looking at how we can support all of our students. Because, you know, I think the piece that sometimes is missed is when we say a diversity plan, people think, oh, you're talking about supporting black and brown students. But the truth of the matter is, when we support all of our students, it supports everybody, right? Yeah, and I know this is something that you've talked about as well, just, you know, both coming back to DeKalb as a teacher, but coming back, you know, as, as a black man to be kind of that role model. Like you said, when you look at you know, even though we've got these diversity plans in place now, but just statewide and nationwide, when you look at demographics of, okay, you know, we have a school district that's even in DeKalb is, is 20% black, 27% Hispanic or something like right. that. But the percentage of, of teachers, and like I said, this isn't just a DeKalb thing, this is a nationwide right. thing, that those proportions of teachers are way, way lower than the student ratios are, right? One of the things that, that provides a, a major challenge um, is about 2% of teachers uh, nationally are African-American men. Um, and, and there's research that uh, I read, in fact, on NPR um, that talks about that. That Yeah, exactly. Um, big ups, NPR. Yo, 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 what's up? Um, but recognizing the fact that the presence of a black male teacher has a statistically verifiable impact Mm -hmm. on students. Um, I, I can think back to one of my first years. I'm teaching eighth grade social studies, and I were talking about America in the 1960s. Uh, and I said to the students, recognize that, that 50 years ago, I, I, it's not feasible that I'm your classroom teacher. For how many of you am I your first African-American teacher? A majority of the hands go up. For how many of you am I your first African-American male teacher? Uh, even even higher number goes up. And I, then I asked the kids, what, what did you think? 
You know, what did you think? And one young lady, white female, raises her hand and she says, I was scared. And it hit me in that moment that, that for this young white lady that I was having an impact because whatever she was told, black men were. Right, whatever she was coming in with. I got to stand in front of her and represent what black men are. Uh, I, I got a chance to go back to the high school football game this past Friday night, and I'm walking through the crowd, and you know I'm sitting. I, I don't have to cover anything. I don't have a radio or a walkie-talkie. I'm not responsible for anything, but I'm just walking through, and, and the students, Mr. McDavid, man, we miss you, this, that, and the other. Um, and I, I recognize that not as, uh, not as something in terms of pride, but I'm humbled by the fact that my presence uh, I think both as an African-American male, uh, but also as a caring adult, yeah. right? And, and again, maybe some of that care, not maybe, definitely some of that care coming out of a place uh, that's rooted in my faith, that it had an impact such that now that I'm gone, kids were high school kids who won't say that they miss anything yeah. or like anybody <laughs> were willing to come and say, hey, you know, we miss all right, Maurice McDavid, that was that was all I had for you. Thank you for, for coming in and talking to me. And uh, you've got a new single out right now. Is that, that's correct? That's right. You can check it out on my SoundCloud. You know, Kafuti, keep hands and feet and other objects to yourself. Do it for your health. Check it out. Check it out. All right, that <laughs> was it. Thank you for having me. Kafuti, keep hands and feet and other objects to yourself. Do it for your health. Yeah, for our health. If you know someone, a teacher in your life that you think absolutely has to be on our show, well, go ahead, shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu. You can also go there to send us your suggestions for topics that we should be covering on the show, like cybersecurity today. And whatever podcast service you're listening on, go ahead and subscribe. You can also leave us a rating. We've been talking a lot about cyber. Well, leaving a rating helps us with the mighty algorithms. It'll also make me feel nice if it's five stars. But, you know, tell us what you really think so we can improve the show. All right, special thanks, of course, to Maurice McDavid for being on this week's show. Thanks to the Rockford Area Band, Kind Ofs, for providing the amazing music you've heard throughout this whole show. Kind Ofs is spelled like Sweet Birds, K-I-N-D-O-V-E-S. You can find more of their music on their SoundCloud, or you can check out their appearance on our own sessions from Studio A. Thanks to Spencer Tripp for making our cool Teacher's Lounge logo, and we... We'll be back with another episode in two weeks or whenever it pops up on your feed. So I've been your host, Peter Medlin. Have a great week.